0: Okay. Hey, there we go. Are we rolling?
1: Yeah. Nice. Okay.
0: Abigail, welcome.
1: Craig, thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for coming. I really appreciate it. It's nice to have you here. I, uh, I've I, I kind of I've been looking to get more agents on the podcast, just because I found that like everyone's um, sort of like ideas of how they run their business is different, how they market is different, and. I think it's really cool, like, bringing agents together and you kind of – all these ideas start popping up. And and I don't know. We're, like, a very – idea oriented bunch. And like, we're always looking for like new ideas and stuff. And so when we were shooting that video the other day, we were like talking about stuff and doing goofy pictures and video and stuff. And I was like, man, I need to get her on the podcast. (laughs) And so I'm glad you came out.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you very much. It's, it is crazy. Everybody has a little bit of a different theory to what works in their little area. And it does. Once you hear one thing, it sparks another thought.
0: Yeah. Have you, uh, are you a big reader?
1: Um uh, sometimes it depends on the day. Yeah. I like listening okay. to the books instead of reading them. Okay.
0: Have you ever read Think and Grow Rich?
1: No. I need to. It's a good one. It's a, a good one. A lot of the books, what is it that they said um that we had it that last meeting was really good. I wrote them all down and I put them on Audible. But <laughs> <you> working <laughs> through them slowly one one book at a time.
0: Yeah. Um uh, so in there he talks about the the principle of the mastermind which is uh, he's, I think it's a good sized chapter, but I love it because he talks about what a mastermind actually is and how important it is to uh, businesses and, and the ability to like grow and scale and become something more than just a single person like entity. And um, he talks a lot about uh, when you bring two people together and, and have a conversation about a topic, you create a third mind or, or what he calls a mastermind. Yeah. So he says these two people or three people, when they come together and start these conversations, it literally creates these ideas that wouldn't have existed otherwise. And I'm like, I'm fascinated by that fact. And so like when I get together with Bo or, or, you know, Greg Irton or whoever, like I love, I'll think about that. Like in the middle of the conversation, I'm like, man, we're like, these ideas wouldn't have existed without us sitting here yeah. talking about it. You know,
1: <laughs> but that's good though.
0: Yeah. have
1: you put that almost in a picture form, you see like a little brain that's connected.
0: Yeah. Like if we're sitting here, like I've got mine, you've got yours. And then up here, we've got that third brain, yeah. you know, um, it's, it's, it's actually a really cool book. You should read it. I won't bore everyone with it,
1: but. <laughs> no, I'll have to you, remind me after this. Yeah, I will. I definitely. will add that to my list.
0: But there's another book that we've been talking about, uh, Chris Voss. We've been talking about never split the difference. That's a yes. good one.
1: I'm so excited for us to start teaching that. That is going to be so good. It's changed everything whenever it comes to um, just real estate in general.
0: Yeah. Well, and so for anyone that doesn't know, let's tell them what we're doing. So we're, I'll let you tell them.
1: Oh, okay. We are getting ready to teach a class about all of Chris Voss's techniques and methods and uh, all of the things that he trained and he has the book that he has written that we're basing it off of and his masterclasses as well.
0: Yeah. And so I came to this having, um, read and listened to the audiobook. and you came to it having like, um, I, I, you've, from what I understand, watched the masterclass like two dozen times.
1: Yeah. Oh, and then some, <laughs> it is literally like ingrained. I can almost predict like everything, what he's going to say. It's like scripted in my mind. Yeah. Well, is good.
0: And it's such good content. Um, and I know you were starting to read the book. I love the book because he goes into depth in all of these stories and he opens it with this, um, hostage negotiation crisis that happened in New York at a bank. Um, I think it was, well, I don't want to misquote. I think it was back in like the early nineties. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he just, takes you through these circumstances and paints a picture of like how tense and stressful it was. And, uh, and he does a great job of like painting the stakes. So you understand like what was, uh, on the line. And, uh, and then it's cool just to hear like how he, you know, came to an argument or, or presented his argument to the person on the other side and went through the negotiation and all of the pieces in between, from like the rapport building and building that trust, um, to like, how is the tone of your voice? Are you using the late night FM DJ voice? That was good. That was really good.
1: It's so much easier for a man to do.
0: (laughs) Well, let's hear Let's hear yours. Uh,
1: No, I, I do not have a late night FM DJ voice.
0: That's it right there. Congratulations. (laughs) That was great.
1: Oh no.
0: But no, uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. So, this is uh, this class we're doing is um, negotiation, and I think we're we're gonna try and come at it. We're gonna teach the principles, but then um, we had the idea to do some role playing also, mm-hmm. so that we can actually get these guys like in the weeds. And so we're gonna do like a, what do we say? We're gonna do a listing presentation, mm-hmm.
1: the um, commissions negotiation. Yes, um, I think all of that it's just so crazy. Cause I mean, whenever I saw, so I read the book as well. And, um, my husband was the one who actually introduced me to it. And so reading through, it takes so long to read through it, but not only that, I think the way that we're going to teach the class will allow for him to soak in more on one thing at a time, yes. which will make a difference. Um,
0: well, cause originally we, we, I guess we're just going to try and knock this all out in like one go.
1: And which then, is a lot. Yeah.
0: It's a lot. So we decided to break it down into, we haven't even really decided, like as many segments as it takes to get Mm -hmm. the point across.
1: Yeah. And that'll give them too. I think what we talked with both the last time and said, we do kind of like one class a month Mm -hmm. and that allows them to use the month to hone in on that specific thing that we're talking about, that specific skill. And then they can come back and add to it each time. Yeah. And Which I think great. that will make a huge difference so that we have the opportunity to go back and forth, like we said. So the listing agreement, so yes. working on it and trying, because that's something that I didn't have whenever I was reading the book or listening to the classes. And I think it makes a difference when you put it into practice. hundred percent. Yeah.
0: And, um, I, I think a lot of these folks, uh, like in the office will get benefit from it because, um, I guess not, not a lot of people are familiar with negotiation uh, or those that are, might have this like dirty connotation associated with it. Like it's a negative thing or a scary thing or that it's confrontational. And yeah. I, I remember when we were talking, um, last Tuesday, there was a quote that Chris had in the masterclass that said, um, the person on the other end of the negotiation isn't the, um, how did he phrase it? Not the opposition. Mm-hmm but it's it's the problem that's the opposition and you've got to work with the other person to solve the problem. Yeah. And like what a great way to look at it.
1: I mean whenever I thought about negotiation before reading the book I thought of a car salesman. 100% and I don't really, nothing against car salesmen. That's somebody else's profession. I understand that's what they've chosen and what they do. But I think we've all had a bad experience with a car salesman.
0: No doubt. And that's yeah.
1: always what I thought trying to fight with a car salesman to get the price that you want. Yes. Um, to get the car that you want in the middle of the day in a parking lot.
0: Yeah. And he actually talks in the book about him buying like a Forerunner or something. And he talks yes, about the how color, he. Went, the red. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, it's a great example too. And I like that he uses that to like reel it into real life experience because everyone's bought a car. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's one of the things that I talk about, like in in my relationships over transactions, I talk a lot about how I think real estate sales is changing. And for agents that are in the business or coming into the business, um, I don't think this is a sales game like it was in, say, the 80s, you know? Yeah. I think our role is shifting from a salesperson to more of an advisor and being able to like provide these solutions for people, not so much sell them something, right?
1: I mean, we have, so what, there's so many different marketing places for houses now. Mm -hmm. So now it's just an overwhelming fact, like you have social media um, to use, but it's uh, people come to you versus you having to hunt people down. You don't always have to go door knocking or make the cold calls and you don't have the list anymore that nobody else had. Now it's, you have it on Zillow, you have it on realtors.com. And so it becomes this massive amount of information. And like you said, we're becoming advisors. Mm -hmm. We're having to filter through, okay, Hey, this is good. This is bad information, whatever it is.
0: Well, and, and yeah, to your point, these, these people are able to get access that they didn't have before to every listing on the market. So you can go to Zillow or Redfin or Trulia or Realtor or wherever, and you can see what's on the market. You can see what's pending. You can see what's being sold for sale by owner. I mean, you can see everything right there. So it's almost like, why, why do I need an agent? I've, yeah. got, I've got the whole market right here in front of me. Well, and so when we start talking about real estate agents or being successful in the real estate profession, um, it you no longer have all of those cards. Like, Oh, I, I have the inventory. I have the houses like, like that doesn't exist anymore. Now you need to have the skills and the knowledge to be able to advise these people through the process in as seamless a way as possible, you know, and, and just make it a great transaction, you know, that just goes smoothly. Yeah.
1: And it takes a lot. It's, um, I mean, this is what we do every day. We look at the contracts, we know the ins and outs. And with the way that the market is right now, I mean, we've gotten creative. If you've looked at different offers that you've had on different houses, uh, the appraisal gap wasn't a thing. Yeah. And we came up with the idea, Realtors did. Yeah. And who knows what will be next with whatever market comes next. I mean, I can't predict the future.
0: But it's it's important, like, as we go through those different, um, like market trends and everything. And we pick up these little tips and tricks to help our, our clients get offers accepted or maximize the dollars on a sale or whatever it is. Like I kind of, th- sometimes I imagine I'm like Batman and I've got this tool belt and I'm just like <laughs> going around collecting knowledge and like stuffing it in my tool belt so I can pull it out later and save people. That's- oh yeah. <laughs> I just came I up have, with that. I but have that's- which
1: one that I can help you with, which one fits your situation.
0: Yeah but appraisal gap and appraisal contingencies definitely one. And then, uh, have you done any seller leasebacks or like seller holdbacks?
1: I have. Were I they, was, did it go well? It was complicated. Was it? I, I felt really bad for the family that had the situation that happened. Originally the realtor on the other side, um, You have a certain amount of time. So whenever you buy a home with FHA, I think it's the 90 day clause that you have to wait has to be in the seller's name. Mm -hmm. And so I was actually the realtor of the buyer and the seller's realtor didn't realize that it hadn't been the 90 days. And so we were getting ready to close on the house.
0: Well, hold on, before you finish. So for anyone that doesn't know, what's the 90 day clause?
1: So you have to have in this, the seller has to have possession of the property in their name. For 90 days before before they can can sell sell it. it.
0: Okay. And so we run into this a lot with contractors that are doing flips or, you know, like rehab projects, stuff like that.
1: And in this instance, they weren't flipping. They were the owners. It was just their parents had bought the home. Okay. And they put it in their name so that they could sell it. They had been making the payments and so forth It worked for them at the time that the parents bought the home for them. Um, But now they wanted to sell it. They wanted to move on. Okay. Uh, yeah so
0: did they just do like a quick claim deed to the kids yes and then the kids wanted to sell it
1: yes but
0: they hadn't had, had it deeded under their name for 90 days
1: no they okay. had it for 60 days and so, what so we we wanted to do the lease back because they were they already had their power turned off it was like we were doing the final walk through and i think the same day i got the call about it and uh they said yeah we can't we can't sell the house oh we can't God. do it fha and i was like They have their power turned off. They have the bills set up in this house. What do you mean? Yeah. We are like closing in two days. Yeah. And yeah, that was stressful. But um, that was one of the leasebacks that I did.
0: So what did you end up doing?
1: Uh, Ended up that they, they could move their stuff into the garage and they ended up staying a little bit longer at the old place. And then once the appraisal and everything was done, then they moved into the house. Okay. But they had to wait until all of that was completed. Yeah. There was no way around it.
0: Yeah. And I think that's smart having them wait until the appraisal was done. Um, because one of my very first deals, I had to do early occupancy. And, or I had to ask for it. And um, the buyer wanted to get in like before we had even gotten the appraisal back. And I... I didn't really think about it. Thank God Bo was like, "Mm, buddy, you might not want to do that. You know, but they were like, well, you know, I'm sure it'll go fine and this and that. And uh, we ended up telling them, hey, probably not a good idea. But yeah, I mean, if they would have gotten into the house, you know, taken possession and then the appraisal comes in, let's say, you know, $10,000 under or, or they can't make up the gap. They already moved in. And now they got to move out. Yeah. Then you have <laughs> you to find know?
1: another place for them to go. Yeah. And you have to find an interim place in the time that the appraisal, because it was low, you have to find an interim place. It's, I don't recommend it. Definitely not. And there's certain circumstances that, you know, you have to make it work, but it is very difficult. Yeah. yeah. And there's so many parts that play into that, especially with loans too, if it's not a cash sell. Like what? So for example, with the appraisal um, on this last house, the house had to be empty because that's how the first appraisal went. Okay. And so if it wasn't empty the second time, because they come back to do, um, not a reappraisal.
0: Certification. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, And they had to come back out to do it again. And if it all of a sudden it has people's things in it, then it's not the same appraisal. So you've got a whole different set of boundaries that you have to go through.
0: Oh God.
1: Yeah. So, you have different things in your loan. It depends on if it's FHA. It depends. Cash is just easier. It always is because you, then you don't have to have an appraisal. Yeah. But leasing back, period, you've got a lot of complications.
0: Well, and not everyone can do cash.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean... I mean, it's, <laughs> there's a lot of it happening
0: right now. But, um, I mean, where... So in your experience, um, where does the cash usually come from? I'm just curious. Cause like I've, I've had a few and I, I know like on mine where they came from, but I'm just kind of curious where on yours, like, do they come from 401k or stocks or the sale of a house or
1: sell of a house or, um, investors okay. that seems to be a trend is okay. it's a lot of investors they've come and they, um, have certain properties, certain type of property and they're expanding to a different type of property.
0: Okay. So they're just coming in like hard money, cash, and buying it like that.
1: Yeah. Jeez,
0: I've had um, I had some kids that put down. I say kids; they were in their twenties. They're not kids; they're adults.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But uh, they're young. Yeah,
0: and uh, they had. I guess they had made some money during the pandemic in stocks, and so they were putting like a hundred and one or hundred something thousand down. Yeah. In cash just off the money they made in 2020. And I was like, that is
1: wild. But oh yeah. I had a, a couple who, it was, it was close to the same. He worked for a company, I think that was in Australia and he had a good chunk of money to put down. And I was quite impressed. They're a younger couple and I was quite impressed. I was like, wow. I mean, more power too. You've got it down. You've got it figured out because I mean, yeah. there's a lot of people in their twenties that don't. Yeah. But take advantage of the situation. COVID uh, changed a lot of people's lives. Yeah,
0: man, I just closed one with uh, with a friend of mine who we worked in film together, and uh, it was so cool to see them get closed. And um, but also, man, I realized like I've got an immense amount of respect for him because when I first met him in uh, like 2016, he had just started his business in film, and it was just a small little thing. He didn't have any equipment or anything, and now, you know, just to see how much his company's grown and and all the equipment that he's added and, you know, the the place that he's buying and just all of the stuff that went into it. I was like, man, like it is just so cool to see how much you've grown over the last, you know, eight years or so. And it's it's pretty neat
1: when you're passionate about it. We were just talking about this. My husband and I um, on the way up here, we were talking about it. When you're passionate about something, whenever you have the drive to do it, it's nothing's going to stand in your way. When you love it, you talk about it. You yeah. what he was talking about a guitarist and um, how ended up that he worked for a metal factory, and he had his fingers. Part of his fingers were cut off, oh. and but he still wanted to play. So he made some leather devices that he put over his fingers, and he switched out the guitar strings to something that was softer. That's and that's crazy to think if you truly love something. Even though there might be a little bit of pain for a temporary period of time, you're going to work around it. You're going to figure out a way to make it happen. You'll figure it out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. And that's a great mindset to have. Are you uh, familiar with Carol Duet? I'm not. So she's an author of a book called The Growth Mindset. And
1: I think we talked about that recently. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
0: But, um, I love that because a big point in the book is exactly what you just said. You know, uh, we can, excuse me, we can, um, grow and adapt to any situation or circumstance if you just apply yourself, you know, if, so whether it's, um, swimming the Bering Strait, you know, in October or, or whatever it is like you, you can do it, you know, selling real estate, You just have to spend enough time developing the knowledge and the skills and um, it'll happen.
1: Yeah. I mean, so a little history. I started studying for real estate uh, whenever I was working in the hotel industry. I was working for a guy who was an architectural engineer and he would build hotels uh, all throughout Oklahoma and they hired somebody on to go through and do a management company and find a few other hotels that we could take on so forth and continue to grow. And so I started studying real estate back then and it just took a little bit of time to kind of fully develop into it. But, um, I remember finally got my license so forth and my husband ended up losing his job and I didn't have a job at the time because I lost my job whenever uh, my son, I think he was a month old. And so it was like make or break, either figure it out and make it work or don't find something else. And so, um,
0: you're talking
1: about real estate real estate. So, uh, ended up, had you already been licensed? No, I had, I was close. Okay. And then I stopped. Okay. And so, um, I never completed with everything. I just got distracted. I continued, I was doing HR. Um, and I just jumped from one job in HR to a different one. And then it was a small company. They let me go. And I was like, well, let's go back to real estate. Mm. (laughs) Let's, let's go to a completely opposite job. Let's figure this out. Cause I liked the course that I was studying. It was fine. It was easy. Um, but I didn't, it took me a little bit of time to get my first sell. And I remember working with person after person and it was like, I kept failing at it. And I was like, well, why do I keep trying? Maybe I really need to find something else to do. Maybe I'm not good at this. Mm -hmm. And, um, no, I finally ended up – I got uh, a cell underneath, and it felt incredible because it was a family. And Oh,
0: your first deal was with family? It
1: was. Okay. Um, and so they just – everything that they were hunting for and everything that they were looking for, it just made you feel good because it wasn't just, okay, yeah, I did get a paycheck in the end, but ended up that what they wanted, they got – yeah. And they got it at the price that they wanted. They got it for their kids, everything. And so I was like, okay, I like this. I'm going to do this. Yeah. And it's all or nothing. And so I started going through and that was that was it. You just changed your mindset. Yep. And it was like, okay, what, what's the worst thing that's going to happen if I ask somebody? They're going to say no. Yeah. Or what's the worst thing? I'm going to fall flat on my face. Okay. Get back up. Do it again. Try something else.
0: Or before you try something else, let's just keep trying that so that you can build the skill or, or hone the skill, refine it enough that you make that, you know, conversation look effortless. Even, I mean, it wasn't, you know, you don't just automatically like come out of your uh, licensing exam knowing like all the market stats and, you know, this <laughs> and that. But like when you read about them enough and you study them and you talk to people in the marketplace, yeah. these are just things that you start to know. And then like you get comfortable having the conversations. And before you know it, people are like, damn, she knows what she's talking about.
1: Yeah. I mean, what is it, the books? This is what I always say um, whenever people ask about it. The books don't really tell you how to do business. No. They tell you about the background of certain things in real estate, so forth. And then your first course, your credit hours that you have to take for the first year, Mm -hmm. you learn a good amount. But where you really learn is where you get out and do it. Where yes. you start looking at the listing sites, you start studying what's on the market. Yeah. It's when you do it. 100%. Yeah.
0: And uh, I think everyone kind of wants the the shortcut to the success or like to the paycheck. But to your point earlier, like you you hone those skills and you get better and better and then when you do close that deal, and you had to work your ass off for it. And you had to jump through hoops and you had a tiger chasing you and all this other <laughs> stuff. And you're like, I don't know what deals you're doing. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> uh, but no, you feel like confident and and you're like, hey, man, I I found that person. I showed them why they should buy or sell their house with me. And we had all these hoops to get through. And we did it and it went super well and we closed and they're happy and they got everything they needed and I got paid and it's perfect. And it It just like builds that confidence.
1: It feels good. It's one step. What is it? Throughout the whole entire process, you're taking all these little baby steps and then you finally get to that big step and Mm -hmm. it's crossed that line and you're like, okay, that's one I feel good about. That's one that taught me this, this, and this because no deal is ever the same. No. It's you always learn something new.
0: Yeah. If, if you're not learning, you're not paying attention.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's very true. And in real estate, you always, it teaches you different things, the different loans, the different clients that you have and what they're interested in. It's always something new.
0: Yes. So what month did you start? What month did you get licensed? December. And how long did it take you to close your first deal? Six
1: months. That's hard. It was
0: I was I was the same because I got licensed in May and I didn't close my first until August.
1: Yeah. I thought I was doing something wrong. I had, a, I had several people that I was working with and I got one um, almost, just like each time it was like further and further, closer and closer to the table. But um, the day before closing ended up that he couldn't close because he changed his job.
0: Oh my God. Are you kidding me?
1: And I was like... Okay, that one was not meant to be. Walk away, try something else. Yeah, no, and I didn't and it took me six months. I remember I came to Bo. I think everybody in real estate has had this um heart to heart talk with their broker. If their yeah. broker's good, and I was like, Okay, hey, I gotta I gotta make this work. Yeah. This is now at this point I'm draining money. I'm not making anything back and covering the expenses. Yeah. And but then it happened.
0: Yeah. And it was beautiful. Well, so, I feel like to your point, and I, I had this conversation with Bo too, there's this period of time following you getting licensed where there's nothing going on. And that's that point in time where you're like trying to get any sort of traction. You know, it's like flooring it on a gravel road, like you're just spinning your tires and you feel like nothing's happening eventually, like it'll catch and you'll start moving somewhere. Um, But a lot of people, I think like the failure rate in the real estate industry is 90%.
1: In your first year.
0: In your first year, which is insane. So 10% of the people that come into real estate are going to make it, which like that, those numbers are crazy. And if you looked at that and said, Oh, Hey, I've got a nine or 10% chance of making it. Like you wouldn't even try. Right. (laughs) Yeah.
1: They tell you that after you've got your license. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) But I I feel like so many of those people fall out in that six month period where you don't have any paycheck and you're spending money and putting gas in your car so you can go to showings and do this and do that. And, you know, you're like at open houses screaming, like someone, please, just anyone, please do something.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Use me. I promise I'll be helpful.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But then you kind of, um, hit this point where you realize like, okay, I've got something to contribute. Like, I've got something to give to these people that are looking to sell or buy. And you start to realize what skills you have and you get a little more confident, you know how to market yourself and, and then you get a few deals closed and it's like, okay, now I'm, I'm like putting some food on the table and I can put gas in my car. And, and so now you're a little more relaxed and that's when I think things really take off. Yes. Because now you don't smell like you need a paycheck.
1: Yes. You know, you don't smell like desperation. Exactly. At the open houses or with the new clients, whatever it is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's when it does. Yeah. You just rocket shit off. And all of a sudden, it's just like you have all of these people that come to you. Yeah. And you're like, I do know something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm smart. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm not just trying to convince myself anymore in the mirror. No, I am smart.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you do mirror, uh, mirror work?
1: I do not. I'll do like the affirmations and stuff. I do believe that those work. I believe that it changes your mindset.
0: Yeah. What do you, if I could ask, I know it's a personal question, but what do you like, what kind of affirmations? Um, and you can say, I don't want to talk about it's fine. I'll tell you. (laughs) So I, I actually, I do a lot of like mindset stuff. Um, and most of like the stuff I tell myself is I can do that. Like I, I can do that. Yeah. And, um, I had a very hard time for a while, Um, like when I was younger, I struggled with like self-esteem issues and, um, just, I would see people that were like massively successful and I wanted that, like I wanted to have some success. I wanted, you know, to have a great career something I enjoyed doing. Um, but I just didn't think I could do it. And so a big part of like what I had to overcome was telling myself that I can do those things too. Like anything that anyone else is doing, I can do that. I just need to find out how, you know, yeah. I need to bridge the gap between where I am and where I want to go. Yeah. And I think it's, um, it's that mindset, uh, and you know, books like the growth mindset or, or um, you know, think and grow rich ninja selling is another really great one that, that actually, I found out after I read that, I was like, Oh, this is exactly how I sell. It's just like, it's very passive, very like non-confrontational, very mm-hmm. service oriented, you know, um, coming at it from a place of contribution rather than, you know, trying to close somebody. Yeah. Um, but I I started reading these books and it just like opened my mind to some of these concepts. And, uh, so little by little, I started gaining more confidence and I would set a goal for myself and I would work for it and, and I would achieve it. And it, like, it just gave me the confidence to keep moving forward and like, you know, Compound that over 10 years, and then you're like, I can fucking do anything. Yeah. You know, like whatever I want. Bring it on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Nothing's going to stop me.
1: Oh, yeah. No, but that is, I think, so whenever I started real estate, I had never, we had never bought a home. So I didn't even know how it worked. And I was like, okay, I want to be a top agent. I want to be somebody who is very successful in real estate. I want to be that 10%, but not only yeah. that 10%, I want to make it to the top 5%. There you go. So how do I do that? And um, that was the thing that it's like, like you said, the growth mindset, mm-hmm. it's, putting, it's changing just the way that you think. Yeah. And um, we were talking with family the other day. And they were talking about it as far as like a religious aspect. And in my mind, it has nothing to do with religion. It just has in the mornings when you wake up and you tell yourself, you know what? I am strong. I am capable. I am smart enough to do it. You're setting yourself up throughout the day for that success. Yes. And then you do it again and again, and it's constantly in the back of your mind. So that's what I would do. I mean, I hadn't, we'd never bought a home. I didn't know how it worked. Yeah. And that was maybe a stupid question to ask. I was like, yeah, I can be a realtor and I've never bought a home. That's okay. And I was like, but you know what? I can figure it out. Yeah.
0: And I think when, like when you're first getting into it, the most important part is understanding like how the transaction works Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: and getting to a point where you can actually articulate it to someone in a way that it makes sense. Um, And you don't necessarily have to have gone through the transaction yourself, but you need to have a very good understanding of how it works. But then I feel like back to learning on every single deal Everyone is different. And so when you go through someone else's transaction and you like see all the things that they had to jump through and, or, or the hoops that you had to jump through for them, you just keep adding to that toolbox of knowledge. Oh yeah. And and it just, it's this cascading effect, you know, because it's like, uh, the the way I look at all this is like, just decide what it is that you want to do and go do it. And as you're doing it, you will hit roadblocks and speed bumps. But if you just keep going, keep finding a way forward, you'll get past that one. And then you'll get past the next and then the next. And meanwhile, you're picking up all of the knowledge from how you got past all those speed bumps and barriers and everything. And before you know it, you're a master at your craft.
1: You're learning. If you don't learn, then, I mean, times change markets change. And if you don't learn, you're not going to be successful because whenever the change comes, you're still going to be in the past market.
0: Yeah. That's actually, and that's a good thing uh, to note too, because we're in a wild time. Uh, This market's crazy, you know? Oh yeah. And so we're, we're (laughs) coming into the spring market right now. And uh, we've had like, you know, 24 months of ridiculous um, prices, um, ridiculous demand and we've had um unrelenting um inventory issues. Ugh. you know, it, it's it's hard. But uh I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on what's going to happen this year. You know, we uh. yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. And I always say like predictions are like I don't know. Uh, nobody is ever right, I think. Yeah. Um uh, but it's interesting to get like people's perspectives on on what's going to happen. So what what do you see for uh, for the spring and summer market?
1: Um, I don't know. I think, (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's ever going to crash. That's one thing that I get a question of a lot. I don't think it's ever going to crash. I'm with you on that. Um, I think that, so what is it? The NAR predicted that it's going to level out. That was something I remember talking about with Krista at one point. Um, it's bringing in, we were just talking about this, uh, Oklahoma's growing immensely big time. So you're going to continue to have buyers and you're going to continue to have the sellers. So right now it's a seller's market, a massive seller's market. Um, And they're going to continue to want all of those demands and all of those things that we're giving them at the moment until the inventory starts to raise. Mm -hmm. Um, And as realtors, I think we're doing a good job at finding that inventory for our buyers to the best of our ability. But um, with everybody coming from out of States where it's cheaper to live here, I think it's going to stay for like the next year, maybe two years, even.
0: I think you're right. When, when these analysts, like what, whatever, you know, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, NAR, like whoever's doing these numbers when they look and they're looking at a national level. Um, but we know like the national, um, numbers are influenced significantly by these major markets you know, like, uh, San Francisco, New York, Florida, you know, all these places. Um, but those aren't necessarily key indicators of what's happening here because like we would say in Oklahoma, there's like this ripple effect. Everything seems to happen at the coasts Mm -hmm. and then it ripples inward. And we're kind of insulated because by the time the ripples get to us, they've died down a little bit. And so we don't have those huge impacts that you would see in like Los Angeles County or San Bernardino County, California, or or wherever you're looking. And so I think in that way, it's nice that we're in Oklahoma, but you just brought up an interesting idea that um, hadn't even really crossed my mind is that these people that are selling in those markets are still going to look at Oklahoma as being a lower um, cost of living. And so they're still going to be moving here even after our prices have risen 22%.
1: Oh, yeah, because Oklahoma's cheap. I mean, yeah. if you look at what it, you see those videos all the time of what 400, 500,000 can get you in other states. And then you look in Oklahoma and you've got a mansion. Yeah. I mean, why not? If you can still work from somewhere else because COVID made everything go online anyways and business function better. So why not move to Oklahoma and have a mansion? There you go. It's cheaper. Yeah.
0: I, I hear a lot of people wanting to get land. Yeah. Like out of state clients. Oh yeah. That's their thing. They always want like, they want like 10 acres or, you know, five acres. And I'm like, really, do you want that much?
1: Do you know how much that is? Yeah. And then they (laughs) they see
0: it. I remember I took these one folks out, uh, that they came out from California and I took them out to look at 20 acres out by Jones and they had like this, dream in their mind about like having a little farmstead and, you know, all this beautiful acreage and this and that. And we went out there and they were like, so this is a lot of work. Yeah. that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, buddy, that's a lot of work.
1: <laughs> now you realize, wait a second. Um, maybe we don't want to do this. Maybe yeah. we want like two to three acres. Which
0: is still a lot of
1: land. It is. It is. But hey, I mean, whenever you don't have your neighbor, it depends on where they're coming from. Their neighbor may be right on top of them. That's true. And a little bit of space, you. it sounds good.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's another thing is we do have more space out here. Like one thing that I was surprised by is how many houses are on like decent sized lots, you know, like quarter Mm -hmm. acre lots or half acre lots. And that's a good bit of land there too. It just gets you spread out from the neighbors enough that, you know, you're not looking out the window while you're showering at your neighbor. Who's also showering kind of
1: thing. (laughs) If you look, we, we like to go to Texas a lot and, uh, I like to pay attention to the Texas market because I feel like it, it impacts us here too. Um, but they have no backyards. They have nothing in between them. It's just almost like, okay, here's two feet let's build the next house.
0: I go through some of the neighborhoods in like Northwest OKC and, um, it blows my mind to see like how close some of those are put together and, and they're big neighborhoods and you know, they're plumb full of people.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so you're like, well, I mean, th- they must be nice houses or something, but they're right on top of each other. Um, it and works for someone. It does. It does. I think there's some people that are perfectly fine having, you know, the tight community and the cookie cutter, you know, McMansion kind of thing going on. But yeah. Um, I'm I'm dealing a lot with people that want a little bit of land or some acreage. I think that's a big thing right now.
1: The space, yeah. I mean, you can't make land anymore. No, you that, have it or you don't. There are a
0: lot of people saying that. Like yeah. I, I just heard a guy saying the other day, "They ain't making, they ain't making no more land."
1: They and are. I'm like, no,
0: they stopped that a long time
1: ago. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you can't get that anymore. So you buy the land, and I don't. I agree with it. I think that I like the idea of space and I like the idea of being able to do, um, kind of whatever with land. Yeah. That's just my personal opinion, but, um, I think I've spent enough time in Oklahoma that it's rubbed off on me. There you go. Where are you from originally? Uh, born in Texas. Okay. Where at? El Paso, Texas. El Paso. Okay. Yeah. I've nice. been back in a while, but I've heard that it has grown. It has it? Mm-hmm.
0: So I spent a lot of time growing up in like the Las Vegas area. Okay, And seeing the way that like the suburbs around Las Vegas have blown up, uh, is, is just, it's like stunning, you know, because I feel like I was still there and seeing things come up. I remember like dirt lots on major roads, like where they were putting in businesses. I remember those businesses were just being built and stuff. And now like you look at, I mean, it's packed, it's packed and it's kind of, it's just wild to see like the development. And I feel like a lot of that development is going to be coming to Oklahoma.
1: Oh, 100%. That's what I was just going to say. I think that's going to be the same thing with Oklahoma. Yeah. The amount of everywhere that we're getting people from, I think it's just going to continue to grow and grow. And we're going to push out to what used to be those small towns are not going to be that way anymore.
0: Exactly. So, and you work mostly on the South side, right? Uh,
1: Not really. Kind of All
0: over? Kind of all over. Okay. So I've been seeing a lot of people coming into Guthrie and Logan County. And I'll tell them about how much the area is growing. And I think they're a little surprised sometimes to hear about like how much it's grown. Um, But I really think that, and one of our big incentives up here is USDA because pretty much all of Logan County qualifies for USDA. And so that encourages people to come in. Um, But it's super cool seeing how much it's growing and the types of people that are coming in. And generally, you know, these people that might be cashing out in California or wherever coming to town are independently employed or small business owners. And so then when they come here, um, you know, sure they might be paying twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars over asking and paying cash or whatever. And I know everyone <laughs> hates them for that. <laughs> but you think about what they're doing for the market as a whole or the economy, they're injecting a lot of cash into the economy. Yeah. You know, and sellers are taking those proceeds and they're Buying their next house, or they're buying a business, or investing, or you know, doing whatever, and so it really does help us just Mm -hmm. overall.
1: It's funneling back through, it's just this circle. It is so as they're coming through, you're building, like you said, those businesses, or those other families are purchasing whatever they want, and it's just going in a circle. So, we are getting a ton of business that's coming from all over, and it's helping our business to grow, yes. Um, and I think it'll continue to do that so much so for the next two, three years, even more than that. And I I think that Oklahoma is going to, it's going to grow massively. Yeah.
0: And so back to our predictions for 2022, I agree with you. I don't think that the demand is going to let up. I think the buyer demand will be there. Um, I, despite like interest rates rising and and all of that, I think the buyers will still be in the marketplace. I think there's going to be um, less price increases or, or, um, home values increasing. Okay. I think, because uh, what we've seen like t- low 20% growth over the last two years. Yeah. Um, uh, I think this year is going to be much lower, like probably closer to like 5%, which I think is a good thing. I think so too. And I so, mean,
1: you have like the lenders that are talking about, um, they have a ton of pre-approvals. The buyers are all there. Yes. 100%. And the houses are just uh, the market's just low inventory. Yes. So I think it will. I think it'll it's I think it'll start to level out. Yeah. Um but I think those you have the renters as well. So the rental rates are going up and I can't remember the exact percentage of what it was going up. I just looked at this like a week ago too. Um but it's it's crazy. I mean, you could get into a part of town that's not super fantastic and you're still paying $1,300 for a two-bedroom house, one bath. Yep. And so I think that those people are going to still push through the interest rates that's rising because they realize that they're going to be paying that amount on a home that they own versus renting, and that's more value and equity to them. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think there are probably a lot of people that are in the rental market that are wanting to buy it's just a matter of finding the right home. And, you know, what I'm hearing from sellers is like, yeah, I want to sell, but where am I going to go? Yeah. And so I've been trying to, when I'm in these conversations, I try and educate them on, um, like seller holdbacks or, you know, leaseback, um, or, you know, writing something into the contract. Like, Hey, if, if we list it, when we start getting offers, um, we'll start vetting them by their willingness to work with us on a hold back Mm -hmm. or a lease back. And like what I did, um, on the house I'm selling in Cushing is we got an offer on that back in November. It was like the first or second week of November.
1: Okay.
0: And, um, the seller, you know, with it getting in, into winter, um, and she's got a handicapped son, she didn't want to be forced to move like in those cold months. Yeah. And it just so happened that the buyer was in a position where um, he has family out of state and because of things they have going on, um, he needed to wait just a little bit to close. And so we're actually just now
1: closing. Wow. But, yeah. in November of last year. Yes. Oh my gosh.
0: Yes. But you know what? And, and it, it wasn't a negative thing at all. Like it worked out for the buyer, worked out for the seller. It was perfect circumstances. Neither had a problem waiting. In fact, it worked out better for everyone. And so, but things like that happen, you know, and I think a lot of agents, maybe I can't speak for everyone, but, um, they are maybe, uh, maybe they just assume that the sellers want to close now and get cash. Now everyone wants a fast close but I think that some people need to kind of take a step back and accept the fact that inventory is low and sure the sellers are excited about cashing out on their equity, but they maybe don't want to close in 14 days. Like yeah. maybe they want 60, you know, it's
1: every situation is different. Like you said, that's fantastic that it worked out for them that way. Yes. Um, but I agree. That's something that I always put from my buyers whenever, because we, you go through several homes There's almost no way around it right now because everybody's fighting for whatever house is on it. It depends on what price range you're into. But I tell them all the time, okay, do you have the flexibility with time? So if that's the case, um, we put that in the email whenever we send the offer over. Okay, hey, we can close in 30 days. We can close in 60 days. Um, Our maximum is this. Tell us what works for you. Yeah. So both win-win situation on either side.
0: That's good. So do you have, uh, do you feel like you have a pretty good success rate getting offers accepted? Yeah. Like in this market? Cause it's hard right now.
1: I think so. I feel that I do. I say that. And right now I have one that, um, we had one offer. We only had one offer so far together and I'm worried about the next cause she's in uh, a price range that is fighting. Ooh. Yeah, okay. And so... A lot I'm, of competition? Yes. Yeah. Very much so. I mean, you look at the house, it's on the market for maybe an hour, and it already puts up that they have multiple offers. Crazy. And you talk to, maybe talk to the agent. Well, it depends on if you can get through to them. Yeah. Um, and they tell you already, oh yeah, I've got 10, 20 in my email. Yeah. And you're like, do we have a chance?
0: <laughs> Is there hope? And yeah, you kind of... Almost sit there and wonder, like, is it even worth writing an offer? Like, are we just wasting time and getting your hopes up? But I, I think, like, your ability to get a hold of the listing agent is huge. I yes. always try, I know you do too. Yeah. But, like, when you can get them on the phone and back to Chris Voss, build some rapport in a minute or two over the mm-hmm. phone, you know, connect with them. Um, start asking some questions like, you know, hey, what's the seller looking to get out of this? What are some terms that are important to them? How can we help accommodate those? Yes. I mean, that's a game changer right there. Cause not everyone takes the time to ask those questions.
1: Yeah. Sometimes they just send an offer and you're like, well, this isn't really what we're looking for. I don't know anything about this person. Yeah. You know, I haven't heard from them. Um, Are they flexible? You know, what are, what's the information that I can give to my seller? Yeah.
0: Well, and I just heard another story from an agent who said, so he had a listing and after they had already accepted an offer, he was going through his spam on his email. There is an offer sitting in his spam. Oh no. And it actually was a very attractive offer, but he missed it. Nobody called him. The yeah. agent didn't call and, and say, hey, I'm sending over an offer. They just sent the offer via email. It went to spam. Nobody ever saw, like there was no follow-up. And I'm like, how can you expect to get an offer accepted if you don't talk talk to anyone?
1: Yeah. No, I had out of nowhere, uh, we have a land listed right now and it's out in Washington, Oklahoma. And I had a realtor. I didn't, I mean, I knew they went out to take a look at the land, but I didn't know they were interested. And then all of a sudden I get this text message and and she said, Hey, we sent an offer. And I was like, Oh, okay. I'll take a look, you know, I'm driving, but I'm not in front of a computer, but I'll look. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I got really excited. I was so confused.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Like no phone call or anything. Yeah. Nothing. Hey, here's an offer.
1: Yeah. I was like, okay, I think you got either. You're really good at researching or they didn't care. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So do you, um, are, are you starting to, do uh, you work with buyers mostly? It's kind of yeah. like bread and uh, butter, everything?
1: Yeah, I'm about 50-50. I'm, okay. I'm branching out more into the commercial right now.
0: Okay, very yes. nice. So that's um, between you and me. That's something I'm working on too. Yeah. Oh, shit. No, well, kidding. I mean, <laughs> not anymore. You uh, no. can edit that out, right? <laughs> uh, no, commercial's uh, pretty cool. And actually, we've got uh, some market stats I got from a, cause I just sold a commercial listing. Um, and I was talking to the appraiser, got some really good information. Um, but you know, in 2021, this appraiser that came out said in 2021, he had averaged 160 commercial appraisals a month, which blows my mind, but it also tells me, and it backs up the stat, um, uh, that there were more commercial sales, in Oklahoma last year than ever before.
1: I mean, to put that in perspective for people that listen to this, a home, you look at maybe, I mean, any size, 900 square feet to 2,000, 3,000 square feet. Commercial properties can be 5,000, 10,000. It just depends on the type. And if he's doing 100...
0: And 60.
1: <laughs> it's a lot. That is a lot of work to be doing for an appraiser. Yeah. That is impressive. It
0: sounded like he had a big team. He said there's, he's got, uh, he was the president of the company, but he said he's got a group that handles um, like strip malls. They Mm -hmm. do gas stations. Um, He did like warehouses and stuff. And so he's got these different teams that'll do all the field research. And then they've got a team in the office. So they'll do the field research, send the file back to the office, and then the office will investigate But I was like, man, that's either way you cut it. 160 appraisals a month is a lot.
1: Yeah, it is. And especially commercial.
0: Yeah. But I say that to say that commercial real estate in Oklahoma is booming. And I think, again, this goes back to all of the people that are moving here from out of state. Lower cost of living. We've got lower taxes uh, than a lot of our neighboring states and uh, with lower uh, land prices, these businesses or business owners are coming in and they're, you know, starting up their business in Oklahoma or they're expanding into Oklahoma and that's only going to send commercial real estate, you know, skyrocketing as well. So yeah,
1: yeah. like you said, it's it's just a circle. They come in and they funnel the money in and they start the business at cheaper cost, yeah. but it stays in Oklahoma. Yeah. So, I mean, we're not an expensive state.
0: No, not, not by any means.
1: And we're pretty accepting. We're pretty friendly. So it's not hard. Most of them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Most of us. Um, it's not hard to start the business. It's not hard to move here and feel comfortable.
0: Yeah. So, um, before we got, we got caught up on a, on the commercial tangent, but I was going to ask, um, going forward, what, if you were going to be, um, growing your buyer business or your listing business, I was just kind of curious, but it sounds like you're going after commercial, uh, commercial listings
1: both. Um okay. I have commercial buyers right now.
0: Really? Yes. Okay. So, uh
1: preferably I'd like to grow into more of the commercial listings, but I mean, I have I feel pretty comfortable in both sellers and buyers because I've had a good amount of both mm-hmm. um whenever it comes to residential real estate. And so I like to continue to grow and I like to continue to learn, and yeah. I think the best way to do that is commercial and commercial is a little bit it's different it's old school you don't have all of the listing information on zillow or all these other websites for them you have to go and find it and it's about the connections that you make yes and so it's a little bit of a different challenge that i'd like to master and be more comfortable in because the same people that you're selling homes to and selling homes for they have businesses that are growing and they're expanding and so they come to you and they ask you about that perspective out of it. I want to be able to give them the best information possible, not just in residential, but commercial.
0: Yeah. So you would do, you'd be like a dual agent kind of thing, doing commercial and residential.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't <laughs> want to stay in one area. I'd like to ultimately grow a team and have okay. something. So like that appraiser's doing. Have yeah. little areas, um, which is something I'm working on. But yeah, I mean, I think that it's,
0: if I can ask, how would you structure that?
1: What do you mean? So like the team, have a buyer's agent, have a seller's agent. Okay. Um, and then have the same with commercial as well. Yeah. Uh, so split it up in the sense of where's their area and their expertise that they feel the most comfortable with the team that you're working with. Okay. Um, the people that are on it and go from there. So have the people, cause I mean, you have the buyers doing all the showings, um, writing all the contracts, so forth. Um, which is enough of a job on its own and a massive amount of information because it's constantly changing with the market. Yes. Uh, that that's a good area to start for somebody. Definitely. And then to grow that into having a seller's (laughs) agent and then commercial same side. Yeah.
0: I like it. I like it. I'm, I'm doing something similar. Um, I think, I think my first hire will end up being an assistant. Yeah. Um, But I'm looking for someone that can be that could sort of also act as an ISA or inside sales agent. Oh, okay. So and my idea there is like to really it's time, right? Like we need to leverage something so that we can uh, get more time back. Because this, this business sucks up a lot of time. It does. So in my mind, I think, well, if I can hire an assistant who could also be dual purpose and act as an ISA, and I can train them in sort of my business philosophies, give them, you know, my scripts and, you know, here are my talking points mm-hmm. and then I can put them on the phones and put them in charge of marketing and doing, you know, talking to people on social media and all this, then I can have a full-time person basically bringing business in. And then I can, you know, take that, put, put my spin on it and, you know, follow through on the transaction and everything.
1: Yeah. So I think that's, that's a beautiful process. Yeah. And
0: eventually like, you know, I feel like it would grow to the point where, Hey, you've got to leverage, like you're saying, buyers, agents, sellers, agents, and, and all this. But yeah, I, I'm thinking like that, that'd probably be my first step would be an assistant that can also do ISA stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I don't know. I mean, my whole thing is like social media is something that you can use yes. and it's, it's a way to reach and, um, just give information period. And whenever you provide that information and it's trustworthy information, it's backed. Um, that's what I feel like is kind of like my assistant. It takes care of things for me. I put something up. It would be nice to have somebody to do that for me. Oh yeah, for (laughs) sure. Um, but once you put that stuff up, then everybody else looks at the content and they, they're going to decide whether or not it's trustworthy or not, but it's managing the influx of people.
0: Yes, exactly. You've, Because I feel like real estate is very much an outbound prospecting game. Like, you can't stop looking for business. Yeah. You know, like, you just... That that funnel has to continually be moving. And so, in my mind, well, like, I don't have the time to do it all the time. Um, so, if I can put someone else in there, then I can focus on the other things, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's that's very true. Because, I mean, you can wake up easily. There's sometimes... I try to do better about this. I'm typically up about six, 30 in the morning, but there's times that I get up at five and I can work from five and I can work to 10 PM. Hell yeah. Because there's enough to do.
0: Yeah. Well, and I, I love that like you're the type of agent or the type of person that will do that. There are some people that are, are like, you know, Hey, six o'clock. That's like a line in the sand. I'm clocking out. Yeah. Um, or like, Oh, I'm sorry. I don't work weekends. And it's like, okay, so you're a real estate agent that works Monday through Friday, nine to five. Yeah. Like, good luck.
1: That's what I hate about commercial. That's my problem that I've run into more than anything in commercial is that they do not work weekends. No. And so I'm sitting here fighting for these buyers that are commercial and I'm like, Hey, I can't get a hold of them. I'm sorry. We're going to have to wait until Monday. Oh my God. And they're like, what? I'm like, yes, I don't have their cell phone number. I've looked on Facebook to get in touch with them. I've looked on Instagram to get in touch with them, but they don't, they don't want to do a showing on the weekend. They don't pick up their phone. They don't respond until Monday. So annoying. And I don't, I don't know. I just, if they're willing to work, if my buyers are willing to work and my sellers are willing to work on the weekend, then why am I not?
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, and let's be real. That's where the money's made. Like, people usually aren't working on the weekend so that's when they want to go look at property that's when they want to talk about selling a property you yeah know, no one wants to do it on Monday at 11 o'clock when they just got started in their week and now they're like having to shift gears and think about buying or selling property it just yeah. doesn't work like that
1: it's when they've had a chance <clears throat> so they're oh, the people that work the Monday through Friday nine to five and they get a break on that weekend. Then they're kind of like, okay, you know what? Let's actually think about this. Can we do this? Yes. What is it that we need to do to get this done? Okay. And then they start, they reach out and they talk to you and you're like, yeah, it's Saturday at 9 PM and we're on the phone talking about this. That's fine. How can I help?
0: Yes. And that's what it's all about. How can I help? It is. You got a good mindset.
1: You too. Hey, thank you.
0: Cool. Well, is there anything that you wanted to share? Well, and for anyone that's watching that would be interested in talking with you about real estate, um, how could they get a hold of you?
1: Um, I mean, I guess I can follow my social media, uh, Abigail Almanza Realtor. That's one. But of go. course, my phone number always works.
0: Yeah. Yes. Do you want to give it to him? Nine
1: Boom. p.m. on Saturday.
0: all right everyone this saturday 9 p.m you know who you're calling oh my gosh (laughs) your phone's gonna be ringing off the hook.
1: i'm gonna be blaming you
0: (laughs) (laughs) well it's been really nice to have you on and chat with you i'm excited for what we're doing with this chris voss training yes i think it's gonna help a lot of the agents in the office kind of get a better grasp on what negotiation actually is and that it's not this big, scary monster, you know, and it's not this adversarial interaction. Like it can be very peaceful and very, you know, fluid and seamless. You just have to structure it right and, you know, put all the pieces together. And so it's going to be a lot of fun. I look forward to working on that with you.
1: I think it's going to be great. I think a lot of people are going to love it. One class at a time.
0: Absolutely. Well, guys, thank you so much for watching. Um, You know, we love to do interesting conversations with interesting people. And Abigail is certainly an interesting person. You definitely check her out on Instagram. That's where you're putting all your videos, right? Instagram? Yes, sir. Okay. Abigail Almanza. And of course, if you got something from this, please like, share, subscribe, do all the good things. If you have any questions for us or feedback, leave it in the comments below. And of course, if you have any questions for me, please feel free to reach out. I'm always here to help. Uh, my name is Craig Kiriokis. This is the Kirio House. That's Abigail Almanza, and we're so <laughs> glad you tuned in. Thanks, guys. We'll catch you on the next one. Boom. Awesome. All right.